again. I've been prayed for so beautifully already, but let's pray again. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it is life. Lord, I thank you that we live uh, in a day and age where it's more accessible than it's ever been before. Lord, I thank you that this word is not written in Latin and chained to a pulpit somewhere to be made inaccessible to the common people. But God, it's in word. It's on audio. Lord, it is, it is life to our bones, Lord. Your word says that, Lord, it will separate and divide between the thoughts and the intents of our heart, Lord God. Lord, between joint and marrow. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that tonight. That, Lord, you would divide between the thoughts and intents of our heart. Lord, no matter how we've come in tonight, Lord, that we would go out changed because, Lord, that's what your word says it will do, Lord. Your word says it will never return void and and we claim that for ourselves tonight, Lord. We claim that this word, Lord, that we're going to be speaking from tonight, Lord, we're going to be hearing from tonight, Lord, that the truth of it, Lord, God, will bear fruit, Lord, and not only fruit, but fruit that remains, that goes on into our life, into the lives of the people around us. Lord, we claim it, we believe it, we trust you, we take you at your word and everyone that had the faith to believe it and receive it said, tonight. Amen. I just did the weird thing that I do that when I've got my eyes closed and I'm praying, I turn. I I did it once when I was worship leading. I actually ended up facing the back. That was awkward for everyone involved. You may be seated tonight. Um, I I just want to, uh, one of the things about me is I don't have a great filter um, and, uh, and, and our church has gotten used to that. Um, but I, I just want to warn you before I start, because I've got a colour hangover. And so I'm, I'm just scared that the filter has gone even more. Has anyone else got a colour hangover tonight? Uh, uh, yes, the husbands have a colour hangover. I understand. And uh, the hosts are going to bring out some pillows and blankies for the husbands that have been looking after their children this week. And you can take full advantage of that. I will not be offended. But honestly, we want to thank Oh, I do, and I'm sure I'm doing it on behalf of everyone here. I want to thank all the husbands that released their wives to go to colour this week. Um, So gracious, so wonderful of you. We know that it doesn't come lightly. And uh, particularly thank you to my amazing husband who releases me in every way, and I'm very grateful. Um, Okay, I just uh, want to tell you how much I love your pastors, Lottie and Loz. They are dear friends of ours. And I really want to honour them tonight because they're, they're amazing people. I love, um, I just love their integrity. And uh, Lozzie in particular, you know, she never tries to be anyone that she's not. And I love that about her. Um, I love Lottie as well. Uh, and I'm so glad that they're on holidays. I'm so glad because I believe that as they sow into their family, as they um, believe and, and make memories with their family, that actually you guys will be better for that. And I know because... I'm a pastor, obviously, and, and I've been praying for church back home tonight and this morning. I know that their hearts are with you, even as they're overseas in a different place. I know that because Loz sent me a message this afternoon. I don't even know what time it is over there. And she said, um, Bron, go well tonight. And I, I love that because that makes me know that she loves me, but I love it even more because it makes me know that she loves you because she wants things to go well for you tonight. And so while she's on the other side of the world, she's thinking of you tonight, and I think that's wonderful. Um, who knows tonight that things are not always as they seem? The older I get, the more I realise that things are not always as they seem. My little girl, Katie, who's down the front here, I'm pretty sure she's on the version Bible app on that device there as I'm preaching the Word. She just loves um, the book of John mainly. <laughs> but, um, have you ever read the book of John, Katie? No, okay, that's fine. It must be Exodus is your favourite. Um, Katie was in the back with her little friend, Maddie, and, and we're on holidays and they're talking at 400 miles an hour. 
I don't know where she gets that from, but they're just chatting, 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 and uh, and they kind of, I don't know if they actually listen to each other because the other one just seems to draw breath, and they go, did you know that? And on they go, and I kind of just switch off in the front as they chat away. Um, but Katie said uh, at one point, mum, mum, and so I tuned back in, and she said, mum, what does Caucasian mean? And I said, oh, sweetie, it means like white-skinned in appearance. And she turned to a little friend and said, see, Maddie, we're white Asians. <laughs> and I was like, no, not quite, darling, because things aren't always as they seem. It was a display to me again more recently where I was weeding out the front, which doesn't happen very often, but every now and then I just can't stand it anymore and I just start to pull the weeds out of the garden out the front. And we'd had our best neighbours move. They were the best next-door neighbours that we've ever had. They came to our church and, and they were great people and, and we just got on so well, but they moved. It's not us, it's them. Um, but they, they moved and, uh, and the new neighbours hadn't moved in yet. We hadn't seen or heard of them from them at all. And then all of a sudden, this couple pulled up and they got out of the car and they grabbed their bins and they put them out the front. I'm like, oh, here's our new neighbours. So I did my best, like, friendly, neighbourly wave, like, I'm pulling weeds. I'm really neighbourly responsible. You're going to love me. And uh, they kind of got back in their car and drove away, had things to do, obviously. And then I went down to Shopping World, which is one of the malls in Tamworth. And, um, and I jumped out of the car, went up the travelator, and then Bang Smack ran into them um, coming in the other direction. And, and I was like, oh, wow. And the lady gave me a really huge grin. And so I, I, I'm a hugger. Um, I'm not ashamed to admit it. And so I went and gave her a hug. She smiled at me. So clearly she wanted a hug. And, uh, and so I went over, gave her a hug. I said, welcome to the neighborhood. Um, and, uh, and I put my hand out to the fellow and said, g'day, how are you going? I'm Bron. And he's like, hey. And, and I said, are you guys Tamworth people? And they went, yep. And they just like seriously backed away from me. I was like, oh okay, it's obviously going to take them a little bit of time for me to win them over. I, I've got this. I can do some cooking. Then we're going to be great. This will be fine. Um, and the only problem was I've never seen them again. They're not our new neighbours. The, the couple that have moved in are really nice, but it's not them. <laughs> and so I don't know who they're telling that story to about the delusional girl at Shopping World. I'm sure that like every at the end of every story, they're like, I wish she was our neighbour. She was so friendly. I'm sure that's how that story ends. <laughs> but but the, things are not always as they seem. They were not, they were not our neighbours. And I bet in this church, maybe you haven't thought about the fact that things aren't always as they seem because I know that there are amazing people in this church. Last time we were here, um, we were just, your church was honouring a couple who had run a, a feeding the homeless program for years upon years upon years. And that was incredible. I, I was so blessed by that. And, uh, and, and yet, even through that amazingness, there's something that the Bible says that things are not always as they seem. And if that ministry had have been without a vital ingredient then it all would have been for nothing. Years upon years of service and, and tears and sacrifice would have all been for nothing without a vital ingredient. I, I bet that there are many people in here that are advocates for amazing causes and, and talk to your friends at work about the injustices on the earth. And yet the Bible says that if you do that without this vital ingredient, then it's all for nothing. I, the, I bet in this church there are incredible servants of Jesus Christ. In the church, the only organisation that God puts his name to and says, this is mine, and that actually I'm coming back for her. That organisation that you serve in, that you love, that you, you lay down your life for and sacrifice for, the Bible says that if you're missing a vital ingredient in your service and your volunteering to that place, to that, that, that movement, 
not a place, movement, then, then it's all for nothing. And if you've been around a fair while, you probably already know what I'm talking about. So we're going to go to, I'm going to read something from the Passion Translation. And, uh, and you'll probably recognize it as soon as I start reading it. It says this, If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains but had never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous, like Josh with gelato next week, as to give away everything I own to feed it this week, tonight, She's generous tonight. If I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr, even that, without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. If the Bible says that without this vital ingredient, we are nothing, we have nothing, we gain nothing, then I'm sure that in this vital ingredient of our life, that this is something that we want to all move from strength to strength in this year. Would you agree? You know, you're going, Bron, I know this. I love, I, I get this. This is kind of 101 for me. And yet I think we constantly need reminding of how to increase our love quotient to those around us and in our own life. We need to go from strength to strength in love. There's lots of sayings about love. There's no love lost there. No love lost there. That's kind of, it's an expression about open hostility towards someone or even a hatred of someone. We say, that's an Aussie saying, there's no love lost there. I, I don't actually get it. It doesn't make sense to me. If you get it, please explain it to me after the service. No love lost. It's, kind of doesn't, it's not very logical to me. But it's saying that does make sense to me. Is it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. Has anyone heard that one? It's better to have loved and lost and never to have loved at all. And I agree with that statement in principle. I think, yeah, that makes sense to me. However, I don't actually know that it's the real issue. Because if you've loved, you maybe didn't make the purposeful choice to love. Maybe you fell in love. Maybe your love was a response to love shown to you. And, and then you had no control over the losing of that love. Maybe that person left in your life. Maybe that person withdrew from you completely. Maybe they moved on to someone else. And you had no control over that. So the issue wasn't the loving in the first place and the issue wasn't the losing so much. But the issue is, am I going to be able to love again? Am I actually going to be able to trust enough to love again? Here's what some people do. Some people have the temperament whereby they go, well, they've cut me, they've, they're gone, whatever, done. Do you know anyone like that? They're just able to go, done, done with you. I know someone like that. Darling. <laughs> oh no they don't like me whatever they're lost that's, that's his response I think it's a great response it's a courageous response it's very much I think uh, um, it's a strength in some ways but it maybe doesn't always help your love quotient done more fool them idiot <laughs> never say that um, and then there's other people who they just can't help but love again and they just dive in you know they just they forgive so quickly they forgive so easily and they just dive back in straight away and they, they're looking for someone if someone's you know they've lost love they're looking for someone to love again and love quickly 
and, and, and that's okay too and that's beautiful. But sometimes the message that someone like that can get over and over again because they love so quickly is that, you know, you're not worth it as people move on. They feel rejected as people move on. They feel a lack of approval and, and, and something uh, begins to be reiterated inside of them about their worth and their self-value. Others of us, we, we tend to um, feel a lack of trust and we tend to put up walls and self-protective barriers. Does anyone know what I'm talking about tonight? And as we do that, uh, then people might love us and they might even breach those walls. They might even breach those barriers and get into that inner circle of our life. But there's something inside of us that kind of says, I'm just waiting for you to let me down. I'm just waiting for you to disappoint me because I've been disappointed in the past. They're kind of the three broad reactions and, of course, there's uh, interplay between all of those. How do we keep loving when we've loved and lost? How do we increase our love quotient even though we've loved and lost? Because this world, one thing we know for sure, we will love and lose. There's no one that's going to go through life and lose nothing in love. It's the nature of our fallen world. When we get to heaven, oh my goodness, that's going to be amazing. We are never going to lose in love again. But while we're on this earth, we are going to lose in love. So how do we cope with that? And how do we approach that? How do we keep our love quotient strong? Well, I want to talk to you tonight about a, a beautiful woman in the Bible called Ruth. And, uh, and Ruth's name means friend. And there's so much in this book that we could talk about it. We could do a series on it. And, uh, and so actually tonight, instead of gelato, we're going to do like just a couple of hours after this and just keep going with the book of Ruth. Love you to stay. Um, that's not happening. Just in case anyone was like, awesome. I saw you guys. You're like, yes. <laughs> but, uh, um, and so Ruth is a woman in the Bible. And Ruth is someone who, starting back at the beginning, there was a family that left Bethlehem because there was a famine and they moved into the country of Moab. It was Elimelech was the man's name, the patriarch's name, and his wife Naomi and their two sons moved into the country of Moab to find food. Now Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons set up home there, set up dwelling there, and eventually the sons found wives among the Moabite women, uh, Ruth and um, Orpah, who was Oprah's dyslexic ancestor and uh, and and Oprah no well Orpah and Ruth married Elimelech's sons and uh, and and back then you know the males were the security in the household and God had set up this amazing social security system which didn't rely on welfare whereby if say the father died the sons would take care of the mother if uh, if the husband died the brother would take care of his sister-in-law and God set that up in a way that was just beautiful. And actually, it's still in effect in some countries today. Our great friends um, back in Tamworth, they're Singaporean. And it's, it's in, of great shame in their country if you put your elderly parent into a home. Uh, that, that actually, you know, it's so different to here. Um, and, and, you know, my, my, both my grandmothers were in nursing homes. But back over there, um, it's, it's actually of shame to the family. And it's something that, that God set up back here because there was no welfare system. There was no social security. And so uh, that all works really well. But what happened was that Elimelech and the two sons died. All security gone. Naomi has no sons to look after her. The, the daughters have no brothers-in-law to look after them. All the males in the family gone completely and must have been at the same time. And so Naomi says, well, you know what, girls, let's go back to Bethlehem. We've got to find a relative to look after us. That's our only way of survival. And so she says, let's go back. The, play, uh, the, the famine's over. Let's go back to Bethlehem and we'll find food. We'll find people that can look after us there. 
It doesn't say how long it took, but it says that somewhere along that journey, maybe Naomi realized that it's a seven to 10 day journey. And maybe she thought, oh, hang on, I've just remembered there's a 2,000 feet climb into Bethlehem. These girls grew up on the Moabite plains. They don't have the quads or the muscle memory to be able to make that climb. What are we going to do? And she turned to the girls and she said, girls, you know what? Actually, you're still young. Why don't you go back to your own families and try and find husbands among your own people? And, uh, and they said, no, no, we want to come with you. And she says, no, seriously, my life's done. Your whole life is ahead of you. Why don't you go? And Orba says, thank you for releasing me, Naomi. I'll go back to my people. And she goes. But Ruth clings to Naomi, the Bible says, and, and says the famous line that maybe you've heard, Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And so she continues on. Now, two single women, two widowed women, no longer virgins, traveling on a road by themselves is a, a dangerous journey for those women. And seven to 10 days on the open road with no accommodation. We don't know what happened to them along the way. But what we do know is when, we get, when they get there, that Ruth, um, Naomi tells her to go and glean in a certain field because she said, hopefully there you'll have protection from the men that are working there. So that's kind of the environment. We can draw a conclusion from uh, that of the environment that they were in. Well, Ruth uh, goes and, and she gleans in the field. But when they get back to Bethlehem, all the relatives rush up and say, Naomi, is it you? You're back. You're back. It's so good to see you. And she says, no, I'm not Naomi anymore. The woman that you saw leave is not the woman that's come home. The Lord has dealt, dealt badly with me. And I am not the woman that left. Don't call me Naomi anymore because Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because I've been dealt with bitterly. And what she was essentially saying is that is my new identity. I'm not pleasant anymore. I have grown and become bitter in my heart. You know what changed her situation was the woman that walked alongside her because actually she wasn't alone. There was a woman that walked alongside her called Ruth and Ruth's name means friend. And Ruth walked with her and Ruth went out and said, yes, the situation's bad. Yes, this situation is awful. Maybe I would have been better going back to my family in Moab. But I've got something I can do here. I can get up and I can go and glean in the fields. That was a beggar's way of getting food. But she said, that's something I can do in, this, in the midst of this dark situation. Naomi clearly could have done that as well because she just made the journey seven to 10 days back from Moab to Bethlehem. But she didn't do that. She stayed where she was and sent Ruth out to do it for her. How incredible. Naomi became bitter in the midst of her situation. But Ruth said, I've got the same situation going on here, but I'm going to remain a friend. I'm going to remain loving because I don't want the situation to change me. I want to ensure that I change the situation. And you know, as we keep our love, that's what happens. We change the situation rather than the situation changing us. Maybe you're someone tonight who could almost say, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. That would be something that would come into your head. That would be a suggestion made to you maybe by a different source. And yet what Ruth would show us is that we can allow the situation to change us like Naomi did, or we can actually get out and change the situation by doing what we can do. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 to 25, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, something Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel. Sometimes I sing when I 
trying to kill time. Okay, Moses, uh, Moses chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 to 25. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Mara, there's that word again, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. That's always a good start in a place where we find ourselves in a bitter situation. Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. Here we see uh, kind of a, a, the, form, the, the principle that God sets up whereby we do something practical and he adds his supernatural. You remember when he was feeding the multitude that, you know, he, he made food materialize. He could have done that with nothing. But he says, Where's the, has anyone got any food? The young boy brings his sushi rolls to him, his two loaves and five fishes, but the other way around. And, 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 God, and Jesus blesses them and they feed 15,000 people. They take something that's practical and God adds his supernatural to it and it feeds a multitude. You know, when Jesus uh, was talking to a blind man, uh, he spat into the dirt. Why did Jesus need mud? But he showed us there's always something practical and then God adds his supernatural and in the midst of our situation, whether it be bitter or whether it be lovely, God's asked, God asks us to do something practical. He asks us to keep loving. He asks us to stay in a place where we love. And then you don't know what he will do by adding his supernatural to that. In the situation that you're in, and I just firstly want to qualify, I'm not talking about unsafe situations. There, there is no reason to stay in unsafe situations. And I encourage you in that and, and, and release you from any guilt you might feel about that. But in safe situations... Um, he, he says, if you'll keep your love on, watch me add my supernatural to that. Watch me do something amazing and miraculous. Maybe God's quickening a situation to you right now, whereby when you think of it, you kind of get a sour look on your face. Like you can't help it. It's like a bitterness that kind of clenches your heart. And, and I believe that what God would have us do tonight is actually regather that he'd have us regroup and go, oh, sweep that away and regather and keep my love on and decide that instead I'm going to respond lovingly to that situation and watch him and wait for him to add his supernatural to that. I just want to get super practical right now because uh, God is practical. These are the ways that we can get practical and keep our, and keep loving. I, I keep referring, going back to keep our love on, only it was actually after I preached this message in Tamworth that I was thinking about a situation, a friendship that had kind of gone awry. Uh, and I don't have, typically have friendships go awry and it was out of my control and it, it wasn't bad. The situation hadn't gone bad, but it just meant that I was no longer friends with a person that I'd been friends with for a very long time. And it, I, was, I was feeling saddened by that. And, uh, and it would just pop up into my head momentarily. And, um, and so I thought, well, I'm going to go and read a book to try and take my mind off that sadness. And someone else had given me a, a book. I, I don't know. You guys are super generous, I've heard. And um, so maybe you give your pastors books all the time as well. But I get given books all the time. And, and someone had given me a wrapped present, but I could feel that it was a book. And so I actually hadn't unwrapped it. That's a really bad confession. Wouldn't confess that at home. Um, and I just left it by my bedside. And I thought, I'm going to go and read that book that someone else gave me to take my mind off what's going on in here. And as I turned, this book was right there next to my bed. Well, the wrapped present. 
And, uh, and I thought, I just couldn't drag my eyes away from it. And so I grabbed it and I unwrapped it and it was called Keep Your Love On. And the premise of the book was that you are not powerless in your situation, that actually you are infinitely powerful because while you can't control what's going on out there, you can control what's going on in here. And that actually you can treat that person how you would want to be treated. And that actually you're able to respond in a way that you're not feeling coming from them, but you can, you can, your heart can be light and you can keep loving despite the circumstance. And for me, it was just like a weight lifted off my shoulder. I felt like I was powerless. I felt like I had no control. I missed my friend and I had no control. But this gave me permission and the ability to just go, well, I can keep loving in this situation. I can keep loving. And no matter what your situation is, you can keep loving tonight. So let's get super practical. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 12. If you've been to a wedding, you've heard this passage. Usually, typically, it would be a girl that reads it out. I don't know why. I think girls just have the voice for this passage. Um, love is patient. That's how it's read. Love is kind. It's never like... Love is patient. <laughs> Love is kind. That's why the guys don't get us to read it. Love is kind, mate. <laughs> um, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, I just want to just let us dwell on that promise for a second. Love never fails. You will never lose if you keep loving. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Greatest of these is love. I, I, as, you know, as a pastor, I get asked a lot, Brian, where are the miracles? Where are the miracles? And, and I agree. I'd love to see some more miracles. I love miracles. I've seen very few, you know, miracles, outward miracles. I've seen a lot of inward miracles. I've seen changed lives and they're amazing and, and I love them maybe even more than those outward physical healings because those people end up dying anyway. But the people that have those inward, those inward changes, they go on to live forever. And I think that's awesome. They're, they're my favourite miracles. But I agree, I'd love to see signs and wonders. But I, I just wonder, you know, I just wonder if God's like, when we say, oh, why don't we see more manifestations of the Holy Spirit in our services? I wonder if he's ever like, did you read the first part of that passage? How's your love going towards your brother? I just want more manifestations of the Holy Spirit, though, God. You know, maybe when we want things and we, we're desiring these outward signs and wonders, God would have us do a bit of internal reflection and say, yeah, it's great that you desire these things. Actually, that passage just before asks us to desire those things. But he also says that the greatest of these is love. 
The Bible says that, that they won't know, it doesn't promise that they will know you by those signs and wonders. It says that they will follow those who believe. It says that the world will know you by your love for one another. And this is a fundamental. We need to go from strength to strength in love. We need to keep our love on. We need to make sure that we keep calling this to mind. In our church, in the church of Jesus Christ, not to point out our differences in our denominations, but to keep loving and to keep ensuring that we speak well of each other. And even amongst our own denomination, that we keep speaking well of each other, that we celebrate um, everything that's going on in another church. You know what? They just had 16 people saved tonight. Awesome. The kingdom, the kingdom that we're a part of just grew by 16 people. Hallelujah. That is so good. Keeping our love. So as we read that passage... Is there anything that springs out to you? And, and I would just encourage you as we get super practical to pick one that maybe this month that you'll work on. For me, at a certain time, I had to work on keeps no record of wrongs. I was very good at that. I'm a very good record keeper. I have a very good memory. Um, and, and so Daz and I would have discussions. Let's call them discussions. And he would say, you know what, Brian? I am never going to do that again. And I'd say, well, Daz, it's June 2015. And in September 2012, you said to me that you would never do that again. So how am I supposed to trust this? Because also in, you know, July of 2011, you said it as well. I was very good at keeping a record of wrongs. And, and God really prompted me to start working of this. That When Dad's, Dad, yikes, said, uh, we're not that kind of church. Um, when Dad said um, that we weren't going to, that he wouldn't do something again, that, that everything else had been forgiven, that everything else was past. Like, I expect mercy and grace. Why would I not give it? And the truth is that we, we want mercy and grace for ourselves, but we want to deal out pretty harsh judgment to everyone else. What is it for you? How's your patience going in your love, in relationships? Don't elbow <laughs> the person next to you. Oh, that was random, sorry. <laughs> Don't elbow the person next to you. How is it going with your rudeness? You know, we've got a, a guy in our church, he's dating an American girl. He's actually going over there maybe to propose tomorrow. And, um, and, and she doesn't get Aussie humour. And it's like, it's going to be fun to watch. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but she doesn't get it. And he, he said, Bron, like, she just, you know, part of it is I think, well, this is who I am. And I, I said, mate, keeping names anonymous, Mikey, uh, Mikey, your sarcasm is not a God-given gift. That's not, you know, part of the intricate makeup of who you are. That's something that you've learned. That's not God-given to you. If your future wife wants you to lay down your sarcasm, lay down your sarcasm. Still be sarcastic with everyone else. We all love it. But with your wife, uplift her, raise her up, call her to who she is, call out the very best in her. What is it for you that maybe you'd go, well, this is just part of who I am. Really? Can you lay it down for your spouse? Can you lay it down for your mum? Can you lay it down for your school friend in order to be a better and more fuller version and representation of Christ on the earth who laid down everything for us? Can you do that tonight? What's the one thing of the, out of that list that you want to work on? Let's read it again. Love is patient. Love is kind. No elbowing. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not, does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I want to encourage you tonight. 
because I am incapable of keeping that list, completely incapable. But I serve a God who promises me that the fruit of His Spirit is love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. But the first one He mentions is love. It's the fruit of His Spirit. And He says that He is love. So as I read this list, God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. I think someone might need to hear that tonight. He keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He's not waiting for you to fail. He's always hoping for you. He always perseveres. What he started in you, he's going to bring to completion. While we are completely incapable of keeping this list, while we can identify things we need to work on, he is capable. He is love. He is going to work that in us. Stop. And be glad that the front row is further back. <laughs> it's a blessing. Um, he is able. Uh, can I grab, get the band up? I'm not sure when I started, so I'm not sure when I should finish, but it sounds like a good time now. So if the band could come back up. Uh, Lottie sent me an email that said that there's room for ministry time. Um, and I don't know what's your practice here. Uh, but I wonder if you want to go from strength to strength in love this year, if you need prayer to help with that, uh, then I want to, in, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up the front. Maybe you're a married couple here tonight and you say, you, you're thinking, I want to go from strength to strength in love with my spouse. And as a couple, you can agree together that you want to do that and you want to come up as a couple and that's okay as well. And we're just going to spend a little bit of time praying. Uh, but before we do that, and, and I'll hand over to Josh because he knows what your practice is. I want to point you to some bitter waters. And they're the bitter waters of our life. They're the bitter waters of this world. Don't we live in a broken world? As you look around and you see all the things going on, can't you just see that it's so broken and it's so bitter? But the Bible says that, that there was a different tree, a different branch that was thrown into those bitter waters. And that tree was the tree of the cross. The Bible says that Jesus was hung on a tree. He was hung on a wooden cross all those years ago. And that, that tree thrown into those bitter waters had the ability to turn everything on its head and make those waters sweet for everyone who would accept Him. That, that, that tree lifted up from the earth was something incredibly practical that God added His supernatural to and changed everything. He changed the bitterness of this world and made it sweet. How could He do that? I mean, you might look around and say, well, it's not very sweet. No, because unfortunately there's still so many that haven't turned to Him. And tonight I just want to give you the opportunity, if you want to close your eyes and bow your head, I don't, I, I don't know everyone here and, and I don't know where you're up to in your journey with the Lord. And so I'm asking everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads because I want people to have privacy in this moment as they consider this question. Have you allowed God to invade the bitter waters of your life and make them sweet? What do I mean by that? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Have you said, God, I recognise that I cannot do this on my own. I recognise that there is a gap between me and you. And while I don't fully understand all the nuances, I know that Jesus came and died on the cross. 
and I want to accept His sacrifice for me in this moment. And if there's anyone, and like I say, I don't know where everyone's up to and, and everyone's got their eyes closed, so this is a moment of privacy. This is between you and God. If you would like to say, Jesus, tonight's the night that I want to turn my heart to you. Tonight's the night that I want you to come and invade my life and turn these bitter waters sweet. If that's you tonight, would you raise your hand? And raising, I'm not going to ask you to come out the front. I'm not going to point you out to anyone. I'm just saying, if you'd like to raise your hand after I count to three, to say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. And then we're going to all pray a prayer together. And you can remain anonymous if you like. But we're going to pray a prayer together. And, um, and I want to give you that opportunity right now. So on the count of three, if that's you, would you raise your hand? One, two, three. We're good. I'm going to pray anyway tonight because I know how scary it can be to raise your hand. And so just in case someone's here that wants to accept Jesus into their heart, we're going to pray all together anyway. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for being the tree that made the bitter waters sweet. Come into my life. Take control. I don't want to follow my own way anymore. I want to follow you. Help me to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, just as the the worship team play, we're just going to take a moment now. If you want to go from strength to strength in love, and I know that's an obvious question. Obviously, all of us do. But if you you feel led to, to 